The industrial age lasted more than 100 years and it was defined by the factory. It was all about efficiency and productivity, making a thing for just a bit cheaper so you could sell that thing for just a bit less than the competition. That was the playbook and for more than 100 years it worked. But then came computers and our world suddenly exploded. Suddenly we had more choices than we could have ever imagined and when we applied that same strategy that worked so well in the industrial age, it quickly became a race to the bottom. It is now virtually impossible to sell something for cheaper than the competition and still maintain any sort of quality control or profit margin. And now, some 25 years later, the whole game has changed yet again. In fact, the world just keeps changing. It keeps reinventing itself faster and faster than we can keep up with. And so the question I ask is this. If everything continues to change at the speed of light, why are we still doing things the same old way? It's the most important question we can ask as business owners. Why? There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Hey everyone, I want to thank you again for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly marketing podcast dedicated entirely to chefs and restaurant owners. Each week I choose a different topic, we explore that topic, we pick it apart, hopefully we come across some useful insights, and then we finish up with an assignment, a short actionable task, just something you can do right away to start implementing some of these concepts that we talk about here on the show. Why? because information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. If you've been following along with us these past few weeks, you'll know that this is where I invite you to log a review or a rating, especially in the early days of a podcast life. Uh, ratings can be a real difference maker, so please take a second and let other people know what this podcast is all about. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and this is the best way to stay up to date. So this is episode number 11 all about the question, why? As many of you know, I live here in New York City where I run my own digital media agency called Chip Close Creative. I work with chefs and restaurant owners to help them grow their online presence. It's a company I've built over the past few years and I now actually work with more than a dozen clients. One of those clients is a restaurant here in Manhattan that's been around forever. It is hands down one of the best restaurants in the country. It's one of the, um, the best restaurants that I work with. Uh, they are a well-oiled machine where, uh, where efficiency reigns supreme. But recently, uh, they decided to make a big change to their tip pool, which led to some dissent among the staff. Honestly, though, it was something that should have been overhauled 15 years ago. Though, as the saying goes, big ships don't make right turns. They must turn very, very, very slowly. So that tip sharing system uh, that they were using had been set up way back in the 80s. It was archaic. But since most of the staff has worked there for decades, they had uh, grown accustomed to it. They were used to it. Uh, it reflected a time when most customers uh, paid in cash and most, if not all, of a waiter's tips went undeclared. To those of you listening who were waiting tables back then in the 80s, you can attest to the fact that it was like the Wild West back then. So 
current day, when management at this restaurant decided to make the change, uh, it was a good thing. They were diligent about collecting data, and they worked really hard uh, so that their efforts uh, were as transparent as possible and as fair as possible. So the old system basically went like this. The bartenders split their tips, and the waitstaff split theirs. Sounds easy enough, right? But far from it, actually. Because the floor staff includes waiters, bussers, food runners, and baristas, and they still had to tip the bartenders a percentage of their overall tips. On the other side, the bartenders just had to tip out a bar back and then a small portion of their money to the food runners. Why? Well, because when someone orders food at the bar, the food runners are responsible for delivering that food. Okay, fine. But then the bartenders also get a portion of all the bar transfers. Meaning, when someone shows up early for their reservation, they often go to the bar for a drink, right? When it's time for them to move to the table, the bartenders offer to transfer the bar tab to their dinner check, which is a nice touch. It's great service. No need to pay twice, much more convenient just to pay the whole bill at the end. But as you can see, the bartenders made those drinks and deserve to get paid for their work, meaning they should get a share of the tips on those drinks. Okay, but that means the bartenders then have to keep copies of every single one of those transfer checks, then tally them all up at the end of the night and do the math to figure out what their portion of the tips should be. It is a ton of paperwork just to keep things quote unquote fair. But consider what also happens when you keep two separate tip pools. Let's say a big tipper sits in the dining room. Everyone is going to participate in that big tip because the money was being dispersed to the waiters, bussers, food runners, baristas, and yes, even the bartenders. But let's say that big tipper decides to eat their meal at the bar. Well, the bartenders are going to split that huge tip just between the two of them, and then a small bit to the bar back and a, and a percentage to the food runners. But the whole rest of the staff doesn't see a cent. So in a way, the bartenders were protected from a slow night at the bar because they still participated in the floor's tip pool. But then they also sometimes enjoyed incredible upside, like in the example I shared with the big tipper. So when that big spender sits at their bar to dine, they have a huge, huge night. So intent on creating some parity, the management team decided to simplify things and create one big tip pool. Waiters and bartenders would all empty their pockets at the end of the night and the tips would be divvied up appropriately across the entire team. The change management made ensured a more even, equitable split of the nightly tips. It saved the closing bartender about 45 minutes of paperwork and then laid the groundwork for a better work environment. This move was long overdue. And of course, people still complained because they felt like they were being gypped. But when you look at that old system, the one that was set up in the 80s, you realize it was a holdover from a different time. The bartenders didn't trust the floor staff, and the floor staff didn't trust the bar. And since everyone was being paid in cash then, this was the easiest way to keep the peace. But think of how much has happened since then. To keep doing things the same old way would be ludicrous, right? But it got me thinking, why do we do anything the way we do it? Why do we do what we do? And to start down this path, I want to talk about an idea that was first introduced to the world by Simon Sinek in his book, Start With Why. That book is about leadership and management, but when I first read it, I couldn't help but see how much it had to do with marketing. In the book, he outlines something he calls the golden circle. Uh, I'm including a picture in the show notes. Uh, if you're a visual person, I think it might help you conceptualize the idea, uh, but it's basically three concentric circles. In the center, the bullseye is why. One ring out is how, and then the outermost ring is labeled what. 
Sinek makes the point in his book that most businesses start at the outside and then work their way in. So we've got a restaurant. Okay, what we do is serve Italian food. How do we do it? Meaning, how are we different? Well, we're serving a modern twist on traditional northern Italian cuisine. And then we come to the why. He makes the case that most organizations don't ever even get to the why. Most people don't even realize that this is something they should be thinking about, which unfortunately I think is often true. But what if we dug all the way down to uncover the why? Or as Cynic suggests in the book, what if we worked from the inside out? What if we started with why? To go one further, I want to know what would happen if we asked why all the time. A different example to illustrate a point. So pardon me if you don't know the restaurant, but I often use Carmine's as an example because it's a restaurant that a lot of people do know. So uh, I've shared a, a couple of links in the show notes so you can familiarize yourself with the restaurant if, you, um, if you're not familiar already. It's an Italian restaurant here in New York City that, um, that honestly caters mainly to tourists. So um, let's identify their what, right? They're a family-style Italian restaurant in the heart of Times Square. And their how, how are they different? Their portions are intentionally huge, to promote large party dining. And what's their why? I think they believe in crafting a unique experience, one that brings a sense of fun back to dining. So if we work backwards, I think it goes something like this. Why do they exist? To show people that dining can be and should be a fun shared experience, like Thanksgiving dinner where people are passing plates and scooping food for each other. How do they accomplish that? By crafting a thoroughly unique, almost theatrical experience. And what is exactly that? Huge portions of classic red sauce Italian cuisine, pastas and chicken parm and piles of meatballs, all meant to appeal to a broad audience. I'd love to talk to the owners to know if this really is their why or if they were uh, even conscious about pursuing it. My guess is that even if they didn't put it into those exact terms, they did know what they were doing. Uh, but I don't know. Who knows? The bottom line is it doesn't really matter. It's it's obvious to anyone who dines there. And since they've been in business for like three decades, we have to assume that something's working. So then what is your why? Why did you decide to pursue a career in the service industry? If you didn't choose it, why are you still doing it after all these years? Why do you love restaurants? Why did you start your business? Why do you keep showing up to the restaurant day after day? Why should other people care about your restaurant? Why should diners choose your restaurant over one of your competitors? Why did you choose the specific location for your place? Why did you decorate it the way you did? Why did you design the menu the way you did? Why did you decide to have a menu at all? Why do you serve the specific dishes you serve? Why not change your identity completely? Why not offer something totally out of left field? Why not close the doors and do something else. Why does what you do matter? And of course, I hope it matters because life is too short to do something you don't care about. And trust me, I would know. I'm an artist, a writer, and a photographer, and a filmmaker. I've spent years doing things I hate just to pay my bills, just so I can have the opportunity to do something I love. That was my life for a very long time. So I'm going to assume that you care about your career. And I'm going to assume that you're passionate about your product. And if you do care about the experience you're providing and the people you serve, I hope you'll take the time to consider the why. I want you to start asking why all the time. I mean it all the time. 
Why did my client hang on to the archaic tip pool that had been set up back in the 1980s? Probably because it was easier to just let it be. It was easier not to make waves with the staff because it obviously took work to overhaul the whole point structure. There were meetings and spreadsheets and arguments, and those uh, are valid reasons, I guess, um, except they got to that place because they let it fester for 30 years. So consider the alternative. What if they had questioned things decades earlier? What if you did what they couldn't, walked around and questioned everything in your restaurant, literally everything? What if why was woven into the fabric of your restaurant. Some things I'm sure you'll ask why and then say, well, we obviously do it that way because it's the most efficient way of doing it. Great. By asking why, you found your answer. And that may be true for many aspects of your business, but I'll bet there are going to be all kinds of epiphanies as well. Why do restaurants set the table with salt and pepper shakers? There are cooks in the kitchen, right? And a chef. Theoretically, they're tasting the food, confirming that dishes are seasoned appropriately. So do restaurants not trust their staff's ability to judge the seasoning on a given dish? They should. And in fact, they probably do. The clearest answer as to why restaurants put salt and pepper on the table is that there's always that one guest who will season the hell out of any dish he gets no matter what. My brother Justin is that guy. Go out to dinner with him and you'll see. He cranks so much pepper onto his food, I swear... And that's just the way he is. He likes a ton of pepper. If food arrives and there's no pepper in sight, he's going to have the server go fetch him some. So you put salt and pepper on the table to safeguard against that guest. Because on a busy night, a server isn't going to have time to go all the way back to the the back of the kitchen to get salt and pepper for a guest that requests it. Those 60 or 90 seconds may very well put them in the weeds. And so we guard ourselves against that situation by presetting each and every table with salt and pepper shakers. And that is undoubtedly why it came to pass, why most restaurants preset their tables with salt and pepper. But consider, do you need to be one of those restaurants? What would happen if you removed the salt and pepper? What would that communicate to the guest? How else might you handle salt and pepper service? It's a thought experiment that that might just be worth doing. And it all starts with asking the question, why? Why do restaurants do it like this? Do we have to do it that way just because that's what's always been done? And this is where true innovation comes from. Someone asks why and then sets out to chart a new course. Why do restaurants set their tables with salt and pepper? Because it helps the servers. But what would it say about us if we got rid of the salt and pepper? I think it would communicate a sense of confidence. We believe in our chef's ability to properly design, prepare, and season a given dish. The rare inconvenience on the servers, uh, that's just going to be a price we're willing to pay. And that decision might lead us to other similar decisions throughout the restaurant. Why do waiters have individual stations? Of course, the answer is obvious, but maybe it's worth asking the question. Do you even need waiters at your restaurant? What would service look like without them? Would you save money on labor? Would you save enough money to consider an alternate style of service? Could we have guests order via iPad? Or could they order at the counter um, and then the food would just be delivered to them? Self-serve beverages so waiters aren't running back and forth to the table with refills? Okay, maybe it's not that kind of place, fine, but then maybe it is. Question everything in your restaurant. Why is the decor the way it is? The lighting? Why did you design the menu like this? Could you play around with the food? What about the layout, the options, the style, the prices? Why do you charge what you charge? Should you be charging less? Could you be charging more? What else could you do to create 
the kind of product that would allow you to charge more money. How are you positioning your restaurant? Why did you position it in that way? Could you position it in a different way and somehow create more business for yourself, more demand, more buzz? So often, I think we get caught in the trap of doing the same thing we're doing, except more of it. We think more is always the answer. And sometimes it is like with Shake Shack, right? They opened their first location in Madison Square Park years ago. It was literally just a little burger shack in the park, but there'd be a line 50 deep every morning before they opened. Opening a second location just made sense. There was demand for their product and a second location was going to allow them to serve more people. It was a way of growing their business. That led to the third, the fourth, and the fifth location, and eventually to hundreds of locations around the world. More is sometimes the answer, but not always. Sometimes you have to stop and ask, why? Why are we doing it this way? Why are we in business? Why do people come here? Why does our business matter? Why don't we do things another way? For this week's assignment, I want you to take a few minutes and think about Simon Sinek's golden circle, the the one we talked about earlier, the what, the how, and the why of your business. What is it your business does? How does it do it? Meaning, how are you different from the alternatives out there? And then finally, why do you do what you do? If you've been following along with the earlier episodes, the what and the how should already be pretty clear. We've spent a lot of time trying to understand what your product is and how you differ from your competitors. This why exercise is the final piece of the marketing triangle. Why are you in business? Why does your business matter? Why do you show up day after day? From here on out, I want you to start with why. Uh, Finally, in this week's continuing education, I want to point all of you to an episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. Uh, This is where Tim sits down with restaurateur Nick Kakonis. For those of you who don't know, Nick is partners with Chef Grant Ackett's. Together, they own Alinea and The Aviary, as well as Next Restaurant. And the through line for the entire interview is why. It's an incredible, like, three-hour interview uh, that just gets you thinking in a different uh, different way about your business. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, I want to urge you again to subscribe to leave us a rating. Please spread the word. Uh, I appreciate you guys being here week after week. Thank you very much. And I will see you soon.